The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Sports Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericasports.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. The horses are at the gate. And they're off. Welcome to Winning Ponies. With a weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Engelhart, racing's regular guy. And thanks for joining us again on Winning Ponies. I'm John Engelhart. I'll be your host tonight. And uh, with us up as our first guest, uh, a man that... Just about everybody in the sport knows and certainly has read. He's an uh, author of uh, many books on racing and uh, heads up a little uh, publication called the Daily Racing Forum, and that's one Stephen Christ will be with us, uh, get his views on uh, a lot of the hot topics in, in, in racing uh, today. And then uh, we're going to kind of take a little side trip, and we're going to go out to Prairie Meadows uh, for the handicapping portion of the show uh, because this is their big week. You know, this is the race that, uh, this is the day that uh, they really get to show their hi- highlights and the fact that they, even uh, TVG's out there on hand and they're going to have a, a great celebration of stakes races. And, and with us is going to be Dan Johnson, uh, who for years, uh, well, he was a photographer with the Blood Horse, uh, worked for the Times, uh, and then he'd been covering Prairie Meadows for the Des Moines Register. And uh, he's going to give us the inside scoop and kind of paint the picture of what Prairie Meadows looks like. So that'll be coming up at the bottom of the hour. Well, uh, the big news that was announced uh, shortly after we went off the air last week was that Derby and Preakness winner I'll Have Another was sold for stud duty in Japan. Uh, does that sound familiar? A horse that won the Derby and the Preakness went off to Japan. Well, uh, obviously there's going to be a lot of comparisons made to him in Sunday Silence. Uh, I'll have another, again, because of a soft tissue injury. Passed the Belmont. They decided they were going to put him out to stud. Ended his career with five wins and seven starts and over $2.6 million. But, uh, you know, uh, Paul Redham, the owner, uh, just shopped the horse around Kentucky and not too many people were interested. I mean, his sire, Flower Alley, was listed at $10,000 last year. Uh, that most probably will go up after siring a classic winner, a dual classic winner at that. Uh, but he said after shopping the horse around, the Japan offer offer was just far superior. Um, he said the, the estimates of his value from Kentucky Farms were so different from Japan that any rational human being, as much as they wanted the horse to stand in America, would have to take the Japanese deal. Uh, the uh, farm that will be going to is uh, 
Big Red Farm, who has a history of acquiring stallions uh, from our side of the pond. Uh, it stands Roses in May, who is you know, a multiple winner in the United States, who won the 2005 Dubai World Cup, and Conduit, winner of the Breeders' Cup Turf in 2008 and 2009. Conduit, of course, uh, won the Eclipse Award as the nation's outstanding turf male back in 2008. So again, uh, uh, I'll have another follows in the hooves of Sunday silence. Um, Lenny Shulman, who's been a guest on Winning Ponies, uh, wrote an interesting article recently uh, comparing uh, the likes uh, of these two horses together. And, uh, of course, uh, Arthur Hancock had Sunday Silence, and he said, you know, the horse was a little bit off, awkward, a little bit, uh, you know, could have looked a little bit crooked. Uh, but, again, he was trying to sell shares in the United States, and nobody would bite. And he said it broke his heart to sell Sunday Silence, but uh, he didn't sell them. The American breeders sold them. Uh, the uh, estimates of his value over there, God only knows, uh, he was the country's leading sire 13 consecutive years, and now he is the country's leading broodmare sire. You may recall back in the days of Sunday Silence, uh, during his race career, uh, Zenya Yoshida had bought 25% interest in him when the horse was still racing for $2.5 million, and then he ended up buying the remaining 75% for $7.5 million, and he went off to uh, stud duty. So we'll, we'll find out if uh, I'll have another, can, can repeat, but uh, he, he will be gone. Other news in the stud business is that it looks like Bodie Meister is going to stand at Windstar Farm uh, when he's uh, retired, a partnership was formed between Windstar and the Colts' owners, Ahmed Zayat and Michael and Tiffany Moreno, and they'll continue to race the Colt. Of course, Elliot Walden, again, a guest on Winning Ponies, uh, just said that Bodie Meister is brilliant by design. Uh, the raw speed that he shows combined with his freakish numbers make him the best stallion prospect on the market, and that is saying a lot. Uh, his uh, buyer figures are just through the roof. Good news is, uh, you know, Baffert, who trains him, uh, has him back on the track. He recorded his first breeze uh, since just getting beat by I'll Have Another in the Preakness Stakes. Uh, he's going to be pointing for the million-dollar Haskell at Monmouth on July 29th. And, and again, Bodie Meister's 109 buyer earning the Preakness, coupled with his 108 from the Arkansas Derby, literally makes him the fastest three-year-old in the country. And he's already earned over one point. $3 million. Um, now, some of uh, uh, Phillies in the news. Well, uh, let's start with uh, Rachel Alexandra. Uh, she looks like the female line will live on in her family. Uh, she has been pronounced in full to Bernardini, and they did do a, a full scan, uh, and uh, they found out that it's a Philly. So Rachel Alexandra is going to have a little girl. Of course, this is a big year for uh Famous broodmares, uh, Rachel's just one of two female horses of the year to produce their first foals this year. Uh, the other, of course, was Zenyatta, and she foaled a Bernardini. So uh, Bernardini, uh, very uh, hot with the, with, with the uh, best girls in the country. Uh, now, uh, Zenyatta has been bred back to tap it, and while she's in foal, uh, they haven't announced the, the uh, sex of, of that foal. Um, some little bad news in the... Uh, breeding business is that champion Hollywood Wildcat uh, passed away. Uh, she was uh, just amazing. I mean, she won the Breeders' Cup and produced a Breeders' Cup winner. Unbelievable. A war chant uh, 
It was her son who uh, now stands at the Three Chimneys Farm near Midway. So we're going to miss uh, Hollywood Wildcat. Uh, well, while the racing world lost one great broodmare, they may be gaining another. Last week, the headlines were all about Frankel. This week, over in Europe, they were all about Black Caviar. Uh, she put in just an amazing run in the $775,000 Diamond Jubilee, and it was almost retirement time <laughs> for, uh, for, for the jockey, is that Luke Nolan seems as though it looked like he either misjudged the finish line or perhaps he sensed something about black caviar because he kind of eased up on her and uh, she just barely won the race. Of course, uh, black caviar now is, uh, you know, 22 for 22 and uh, is, is just amazing. But Peter Moody did say that for the last of the five, six races, uh, they were thinking, well, this might be her last race. Uh, she has had uh, muscle tissue problems in the past, but nonetheless, uh, before the Queen of England, she held on. She's a six-year-old mare and, and won the, the big race, the, the headliner at Ascot. But the day after they said it might be her last race, uh, well, all of a sudden uh, the news came out that, wait a minute, after uh, they checked her out, the Connections are now contemplating another campaign uh, this fall, which would be spring in the Southern Hemisphere. They put nuclear scans on her. And uh, it revealed muscular injuries in a few locations, but the most serious was a tear to quadriceptics. But she's a big muscled mare, and she's had problems like this in the past. Uh, so back in 2009, she had a, a similar uh, occurrence, and obviously they were able to bring her back. She remains undefeated after uh, 22 starts, and uh, Peter Moody, the trainer, seemed very pleased to get what is now a specific diagnosis of black caviar's injury and suggested uh, that there would be little problem getting her back into racing. Uh, so it'll be very interesting to see what happens, to see if they keep her in Australia, or uh, they have mentioned possibly going to the prestigious Hong Kong International Sprint. Well, for those of you that were uh, either in Louisville or at a uh, OTB or racetrack, uh, wanted to bet Churchill, you know that they canceled today. Luckily, Churchill has the luxury of having the lights and while they canceled today, they are going to start tomorrow. Originally, it was going to be a 2.45 first post. Uh, so for the, the closing weekend, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, it looks like Churchill will be going at 6.30. They're going to let things uh, close down. What's really interesting uh, that I found out that this was only the 18th time that Churchill has had a weather-related cancellation. Uh, the first one happened back in 1882. And back in the 1880s, it usually was for rain or mud. Uh, then in the 70s and 80s, it was for frozen racetrack. And the last few years, it's been tornado warnings that have uh, chased the, the, the people away. But again, this uh, extreme heat wave that we're in right now, uh, they did it for the betterment of animals. Of course, it'll be a little bit cooler at, at 6.30. So... Uh, Good luck to the fans down in Louisville. I can tell you it's awful hot right now in Cincinnati, and we're not that far away. Uh, well, might be no more hooray for Hollywood. Uh, the Inglewood mayor told the Los Angeles Times that the, there's a renovation project in the work by Madison Square Garden who bought the Forum, and they're going to pump $50 million into that, resurrecting the former home of the L.A. Lakers and the Kings into a world-class music venue 
Well, if that happens, the mayor wants to move ahead and build a $2 billion real estate project called Hollywood Park Tomorrow with residential units, retail stores, theaters, restaurants, a hotel and casino. Uh, and he says this could begin as early as next year. And if that's the case, uh, it could be bye-bye to, uh, to Hollywood Park. And uh, obviously, we would see that the, the meets at Santa Anita and Del Mar obviously would want to be uh, extended. Uh, of course, Hollywood, it's going to be tough to see it go. All the Hollywood celebrities that went there. Track first opened in 1938, and it was the uh, first Breeders' Cup site back in 1984. Well, now how about some positive track news? Looks like the fairgrounds is going to be boosting purses uh, for the 2012-2013 uh, meet, and that's going to make a lot of people happy, particularly those with the good stakes horses, uh, because that's where most of the money is going to be going. They raised purses on no less than 19 of their stakes races. So congrats to the fairgrounds pumping money back into the game. Now let's go to some people in the news. A uh, little bit of uh, um, news that a lot of people won't want to hear, but hopefully there will be a, a bright side to this. But uh, Mike Mitchell is going to have to undergo surgery tomorrow to remove a brain tumor uh, that was diagnosed earlier this week. Uh, just last week we, we, we handicapped the Hollywood Oaks, and, and he won it uh, with, with Potesta. Uh, I mean, this guy, um, if you don't pay attention to the West Coast, uh, is just amazing. I mean, uh, he has uh, taken over 2,500 victories. He's earned $62 million, and he just loves the West Coast. Uh, he's won six Del Mar training titles and 17 overall in the Southern California circuit. Uh, he's uh, just second behind the legendary Bobby Frankel at Hollywood. Well, speaking of Hollywood, uh, a little bit of Hollywood for the jockeys. The ESPYs uh, nominees have been announced, and it will be Xavier Castellano, Ramon Dominguez, and Super Mario Gutierrez, who are up for the ESPYs, so we'll be keeping a close eye on that. And, of course, uh, Joel Rosario, another race that we handicapped uh, last week uh, with the Beverly Hills handicap, Joel Rosario going out on top, and he, again, is going to go after the lucrative purses that are now being produced on the New York circuit. A couple uh, watershed moments for some jockeys here. Jockey uh, Chris DiCarlo rode the 1,000th winner of his career at Monmouth Park. So he's congratulations to him at 44. Jockey Isaias Enriquez posted his 1,000th victory at Rudioso Downs. And a guy by the name of Alex Berzer that started out at Little Old River Downs. Well, uh, we're going to talk to Dan Johnson about him later. Uh, he recorded his 1,000th win at Prairie Meadows alone. So that's, that's a look at pretty much uh, the uh, names and the news around the country and what's happening. Let's take a quick look at the races that uh, we handicapped with Jude Feld last week in the Mother Goose. It was a bit of an upset time as so Impressive uh, ran down uh, the leaders, came home on top for Tom Albertrini. Second in the race was Disposable Pleasure. Believe you can, the Kentucky Oaks winner ended up third, while the one-to-two shot contested finished off the board. 
Then uh, we went to Hollywood Park for the Hollywood Oaks, and again, it was Potesta coming off an 11-link maiden win to take that. So Potesta will be a filly with a future, the daughter of Macho Uno, again, trained by Mike Mitchell. Uh, then we went to uh, Monmouth Park for the Grade 3 Boiling Springs, and Jude Feld put us on that winner. Joe Bravo got home with Dancing Solo in, in that uh, race. Uh, just kind of stalked the pace set by uh, Chiamen, and Dancing Solo got home as the second favorite. Uh, again, Joe Bravo in the saddle. Second was Zulanite, and third, Somali Lemonade, the slight favorite. And at Churchill, we look at the debutante, and it was Blue Eyes in the Rain staying undefeated for trainer Gary Sims. This would be the first graded winner for Magna Graduate, a very young sire uh, on the horizon. He had two horses in that race. I'm pretty sure this is his first crop. And then, of course, uh, it was uh, the, the million-dollar prestigious Queen's Plate, which we hope continues to exist. Uh, the president and chief executive officer of Woodbine, Nick Eves, said that while this is the oldest continuously run stakes race in North America, it could be the last if uh, they don't uh, get a reverse on its position by the Ontario Providence on the successful slot machine program at the Toronto track. It was straight of Dover going from flag fall to that's all. And that kind of wraps up uh, names in the news and the races we handicapped last week. Looking forward to the next segment. We're going to be talking to the Daily Racing Forms. Stephen Christ, thanks for joining us on Winning Ponies. flagship station for sports voice america sports and they're off what can't make it to the track you can still get all the action with winningponies.com the home of the easy win form the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds quarters and arabian horses at most american and canadian tracks whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let WinningPonies.com make some money for you. If you want to talk about the East Coast sports scene, particularly from the Southeast, make sure you tune in to the Jeff Owen Show every Tuesday. Yeah, we'll talk about some of the other teams and news that's out there, but host Jeff Owens and co-host Tasha Humphrey know the inside and out of the Georgia College sports world, and they were born there, raised there, and still live the scene. We'll talk about every sport imaginable. Tune in on Tuesday at 7 p.m. East Coast time, 4 p.m. in the West, on the Voice America Sports Channel. The fans now have a voice to speak their mind. No holds barred. They need to bitch his ass and then move on. I just, I just think that the coach made a mistake. All crazy. <laughs> NFL, MLB, NBA, NHL. Speak up. Speak up. Or forever hold your mouth. We ain't playing around here. Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. 
Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, and back with me right now is Stephen Christ, a guy that has over 30 years of experience. He's a living legend in the uh, the, the sport of racing uh, as, as a, a journalist uh, and a, a CEO of companies. He's an editor, publisher, a fantastic writer, uh, and an excellent handicapper. Uh, just a, a guy that's covered the sport from flag fall to that's all. Uh, Stephen Christ of the Daily Racing Forum, how are you? Hey, good, John. Good to talk. Well, listen, thanks so much for joining us on, on, on Winning Ponies. As I, I told you during the break, uh, we the Daily Racing Forum has been well represented here by your uh, galley of fantastic handicappers that, that, that you have. It, it, it must be fantastic to be able to walk in the press box and be surrounded by such astute cappers. Well, you know, the really the the whole fun, uh, both of starting up the racing times and and then uh, you know getting our hands on the racing form was you know putting together a team of sort of you know your favorite writers and columnists and handicappers and and you know assembling what I felt you know was it was a real all star team uh, and uh, you know it's 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 just great saying those are our guys so uh, so that's a lot of fun. And really, and, I, and I've had uh, just uh, great times w- w- with so many of them fr- from coast to coast, and they all provide, it's kind of like a gumbo, they, they all provide a little bit of a different spice and perspective on handicapping, and that's what I like, there, there's no set pattern. No, and I mean, uh, you know, people are very much encouraged to, uh, you know, not not to try to conform. I mean, it'd be pretty boring if, you know, all of us went at the races the same way and we published, you know, 18 identical opinions. So, uh, you know, it's, it's good to have some diversity of uh, approaches. Um, I don't know about you, but, you know, a lot of times I'll, I'll go out to dinner or I'll be at my favorite uh, pub and people that uh, don't watch a whole lot of racing, uh, without a doubt, the question to me of the month, and I wonder if this happens to you, is, um, John, why can no horses win the Triple Crown anymore? And I have a variety of answers, or actually have a combination of answers, it'd be, be breeding, stamina, and the training approach that, that uh, seems to be taken over the last decade or so. Well, what, what's your opinion on that? Uh, why, don't we, why haven't we had a Triple Crown winner? Well, you know, all, all the things that, that you just cited, and there are, you know, half a dozen more contributing factors like that. I mean, just the fact that the fields are so much larger than they used to be. Uh, you know, and there are a lot of little things like that. But, you know, on the other hand, we've come so close so many times. I, you know, I mean, horses have missed winning the Belmont by inches uh, several times. And, and, you know, they're almost like coin flips at that point. And we could have easily had three or four Triple Crown winners in the last 30 years. So, you know, when people launch into the, we'll never have another Triple Crown winner, the game has changed too much. I mean, come on, if they didn't lean on Smarty Jones early, he probably would have won his Belmont. And, you know, the victory gallop, real quiet thing, you know, was a real coin flip. And we've had plenty of horses who are good enough. And, you know, what astounds me is when people say, oh, it's the three races in five weeks. Obviously, that's too demanding and we need to change it. Come on, all those horses, they came within a few inches of winning it. And the shortest gap in the series is the one between the Derby and the Preakness. And Derby winners run lights out in the Preakness. Uh, I mean, you know, when's the last time we had a Derby winner and we went, oh, gee, it was too much to ask him to run back in two <laughs> weeks in the Preakness. Uh, I mean, you know, these ideas that the breed has changed 
you know, radically in the last 20 or 30 years. Uh, I think they're completely wrong-headed. I mean, any geneticist will tell you that it takes generations and, and generations and decades, if not centuries, for changes to show up across an entire breed that produces 30,000 horses a year. So I really think, you know, the primary answer to the question about the Triple Crown is we've come awful close. We've had some bad luck. It's going to happen again. Yeah, and it just it, it drives me crazy when people talk about tinkering with the race. The, the way I see it is, if you want to be named alongside uh, Secretariat and Seattle Slough, then you better earn it. Absolutely, and you know, if a horse won a modified triple crown with more space between the races, or you know, these really crazy ideas about running them over three months, five weeks apart, it wouldn't be the same thing. The horse would have a giant asterisk next to his name, and you know, the triple crown. I mean, much as I, I love the Breeders' Cup, and while racing aficionados can argue plausibly, the Breeders' Cup is more important than the triple crown because it covers ten divisions of horses, and you know, it's. But the Triple Crown is racing's biggest asset. It's, it's the one thing the general public pays attention to. And for us to cheapen it and devalue it by changing it and making it easier, I think is the worst idea that comes up every year in racing. Absolutely. Well, you know, when, when, I, when I look at your resume and I see over 30 years of experience, I know that you've seen the, the sport uh, from the inside, but you've also seen it as, as a brilliant observer. I'm wondering, over the decades, Steve, what changes have you seen, and which ones do you like, and which ones don't you like? Well, to start out on a positive note, um, you know, much as we as horse players like to complain about everything, I mean, the horse players' lot today is so much better than it was 20 years ago. And I'm not just, you know, patting myself on the back for, you know, changes we've made at the racing form, but, you know, the fact that you can access the video of any race from your home computer and, and the access to information, uh, it's just, you know, if you think back how we handicapped 20 or 30 years ago. Oh, bringing home know, the charts and everything is crazy. In our basement and, you know, <laughs> every, uh, you had to look everything up and, and none of the information was there and you never got to see out-of-town races. I mean, that, that part of it is much, much, much better for the fans. I, I think the part that's, you know, not as good is that these horses just aren't raced enough anymore. And, um, you know, I don't buy into the idea that a superstar horse who sticks around for a while is going to provide a renaissance for racing or make dramatic changes in the game. But it's, you know, it's just discouraging when these horses are packed off to stud early and they only race five or six times a year anyway. Uh, that, you know, to me, that, that part of it has really diminished the game. You know, and I think when you really go back through history and, and look at the racing greats, all of them had a solid foundation as a two-year-old. Absolutely. I mean, you know, people think you're crazy when you say, gee, two-year-olds used to run eight or ten times a year. And they did. The other thing is that horses used to run in things called allowance races, which are, you know, are kind of disappearing from, from racing. And, you know, the, the new theory is never waste a start, only run in stakes races, go right from a maiden to a grade one, uh, you know, try to get an eight-race career out of a horse and send him to stud. And that, that's I'm not sorry, good I've, for the I've, fans, and it's not, not good for the sport. Well, um, let, let's go on briefly to the two great debates. Surface and Lasix, where does Steve and Chris come down on those subjects? 
Surface, I assume you're talking about the misadventure with synthetic tracks. Thank you. Uh, I hate them. I don't think they've added anything to the game. I, I think they're a, a real distraction. They haven't provided the safety advantages that people talk about. These uh, studies that say they're safer than dirt are, are the most flawed science in the world. You're talking about, you know, six new $10 million installations versus a lot of county fairs with, with dirt tracks. Gee, I'm not surprised that the injury rate is hired, you know, at, at these old dirt tracks. But you compare the six best synthetic tracks with the six best dirt tracks in America, they're no safer. And horses don't perform over them uh, the way that we expect horses to run. It's, it's a, a weird kind of hybrid of dirt and grass that, you know, to my mind, rewards mediocrity. Uh, I think Bob Baffert, you know, had the best quote on the subject, that synthetic tracks make mediocre horses look good and good horses look mediocre. And I, I don't like it. I'm glad they're not catching on. I don't know of a single track in America that's considering a synthetic installation. And, you know, I'm looking forward to the day when Keeneland and Delmar rip out their synthetic tracks and return to dirt. Um. A question uh, I, I have um, as far as Lasix, uh, you know, where, where do you think we're really going to go with this? How far are they going to take it? You know, I just don't know. I, I mean, 25 years ago when, you know, Lasix was, was coming into racing, you know, I didn't think it was a particularly good thing, uh, largely because it had the ability to mask other drugs because we were doing all our testing as urine testing, and, you know, a diuretic is going to flush out a horse's system. People who, who still talk about that as a reason not to use Lasix are just badly misinformed. I mean, the testing has gotten a thousand times more sophisticated, and we test blood rather than urine now. So Lasix has nothing to do with illegal drugging or, or masking drugs. And of all the issues in this game and all the things that need to be fixed, you know, to me, Lasix, which, you know, I, I was never a big proponent of, but you know what? It, it works, and it's not a problem, and it's highly regulated, and the fans have all the information. And what I'm afraid is going to happen is that if they outlaw Lasix, you know, there are a hundred other diuretics you can use, and they don't test for all of them. So we're going to be back to the kind of infancy days of Lasix when there were these massive form reversals because the public wasn't told which horses were on Lasix and which, which ones weren't. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I don't mean to, to denigrate the opinion of people who think that racing would, in some utopian world, be better off without Lasix. But it's not, Lasix isn't causing any problems. I mean, people who try to link Lasix to injuries or, or breakdowns, that's utter nonsense. There's no proof of that. And, you know, I, I, I've, maybe I've just gotten to know too many horse owners who have watched their horses with blood pouring out of their mouths, and Lasix fixes it. And, you know, I, I, I wish we would take all the money and time that's being spent on debating Lasix and, and do some more positive things. You know, I, I find it kind of ironic, too, that they all say, we need to be like the Europeans, and as soon as the Europeans ship over here for the Breeders' Cup, they're first Lasix. 
I know it's amazing, and some of our you know most prominent newspapers have wide-eyedly reported, "Oh, gee, the Europeans come over here and they don't run with drugs." Yes, they do. Every single one of them does. And you know, I also have a problem with with these sanctimonious owners who say LASIK is is a terrible, terrible thing and should be banned from racing. You go, okay, well, why don't you stop racing your horses on it if it's so bad? <laughs> oh, well, I can't give up the competitive edge. I mean, you know, I have a great deal of respect for anyone who won't race his own horse. Horses on Lasix, but people who pontificate while running every single one of their horses on Lasix, I mean, come on, make up your mind. <laughs> well, uh, Steve, it's not going to be every uh, week that uh, our, our listeners are going to get a chance to uh, to hear from you, and so I'm, I might be putting you on the spot right here, but I, I, I'd like to know two things. The best horse you personally saw race, and the best race you personally witnessed. Um, that's pretty easy only because I never saw Secretariat race. I was just, my time was just after his. Um, so Spectacular Bid was the, the best horse I ever saw race. And I, I think he's, he's a little bit underrated. People don't really, you know, they go, oh, well, he didn't win the Triple Crown. He lost to Belmont. His four-year-old season, we haven't seen a four-year-old season like that from any racehorse uh, since that. And, Possibly none before. I, I mean, I wasn't around for Tom Fool, and I understand he had a pretty good four-year-old season, but Spectacular Pit was a, a once-in-a-lifetime horse. And the best race, maybe I'm a little prejudiced because, you know, I was a big fan of the runner-up in it, but, boy, the Sunday Silence, Easy Go, or Preakness. I mean, horse racing just doesn't get better than that. Two great horses, you know, head-in-head head from the top of the stretch to the wire. Well, Steve, I, I have to say before we go, there's there's one book out there besides some of the handicapping books you've written that makes me look smart. And I do a lot of my pre-show work w- with the uh, Daily Racing Forms American Racing Manual. Please tell me that's not going away. No, it, you know, it's a fight every year. I mean, I've now been at the forum through four different ownerships and the American Racing Manual doesn't make us any money, and you know we're we're life and death to break even on it. But you know, I I, I would <laughs> I'd write a check to keep it in business myself. <laughs> um, you know, I mean, when when I first got interested in racing, you know, I got that book, and it, it was like when I was 11 years old, and the first baseball encyclopedia came out, and it's everything you would ever want to know about racing. Uh, you know, I mean, it's almost 2,000 pages now, and it's just filled with past performances and stakes histories and anything you could possibly want to know and you know i i don't like shilling for drf products but i'll shamelessly show for the racing <laughs> manual please everyone keep it in business buy a copy at least buy a copy every couple of years uh and uh you know it's it's something i'd hate to see go away it really is i mean it's the entire history of the sport in your hand and in print yeah, and the uh, the 2012 edition, which recaps uh, the 2011 season, has just come out. You can buy it on our website, and uh, if you've if you've never bought one, uh, believe me, you'll you'll be glad to have it around. Uh, I mean, you know, I break the spines on all of mine because I use them so much. Absolutely. Well, so do I. Well, Steve, Chris from the Daily Racing Forum, thanks so much uh, for sharing your time with the listeners at Winning Ponies. Thanks a lot, John. I enjoyed it. All right. Take care. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a little bit of a break here. And we come back, we're going out to Prairie Meadows with Dan Johnson. Your internet flagship station for sports. Voice America. 
America Sports. If you're looking for a radio show about boxing, you usually can't find one until you stop by the Voice America Sports Channel. Tune in to Outside the Ring with former world lightweight champion and U.S. Olympian David Diaz. We'll deliver the knockout punches with our guests as we go inside the minds of today's top fighters. We'll throw in discussion of other sports as well from time to time. Outside the Ring with David Diaz airs every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Sports Channel. And they're off! What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. Sports have become a big part of everyone's lives today. We all have that team that we live and breathe to follow. We watch hours of football on TV, play Madden sports on our gaming system, and our wives can't seem to tear us from the couch. If this sounds like you, or if you're a football wife who wants a few words, we want to hear from you. Listen for Life, Love, and Sports, featuring your host, Ron Dixon. Ron takes you inside the world of sports and finds out what you, the fan, are talking about today. Listen Wednesdays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific on Voice America Sports. Your Internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. Okay, and, and joining me right now is a, a gentleman I'm going to be talking to for the first time, even though I've uh, I've read a lot of his writing when I need to get information out, out of the uh, the farther Midwest, and, and that's Dan Johnson. Uh, I believe he's a might be a Chicago kind of guy. I know his horse racing experience started out at Arlington Park back yep. in '71. Uh, he obviously got hooked like so many people I've talked to over the years by watching Secretariat win the Triple Crown in uh, 1973. Uh, he worked as a reporter for a suburban Chicago newspaper, and then he was a correspondent, and I didn't know this, photographer for the Blood Horse magazine and the Thoroughbred Times. Uh, over the last 22 years, Dan's covered horse racing at Prairie Meadows for the Des Moines Register. Uh, he was inducted into the Prairie Meadows Hall of Fame in 2006 for his award-winning journalism, and he continues his uh, relationship with Prairie Meadows. So with us right now is Dan Johnson. Dan, how you doing? Life's a 10. How are you? <laughs> I'm doing okay. I'm doing okay. Well, uh, Dan, first of all, tell me, I, I, am, I, am I making an assumption that you're from the Chicago area or you just landed at Arlington? No, I grew up in uh, northern Illinois, in Rockford, Illinois, and that's uh, 60 miles away from Arlington. So myself and a couple friends, every Saturday when, uh, when, we, could, you know, when, we, were, when we were free, we'd drive out there and uh, go to the races and have a great day. Um, now, so how did you manage to, to parlay that into a, uh, a job in the sport of Kings? Well, uh, when I got out of college, I, I was a newspaper reporter. And uh, did, like I said, I did some course body for the Blood Horse. 
uh, more photography-wise than uh, reporting-wise early on, but I, you know, I covered some of the news things for them and uh, for other magazines like Racing Action and things that are gone now. But uh, And then when the Prairie Meadows was about to open, the Des Moines, the Des Moines Register advertised to hire a horse racing reporter and they made the mistake of hiring me. <laughs> <laughs> and I was there from day one to last year. And now I'm at, I've, been, I've been at Prairie Meadows for the last year. Uh, well, uh, I want to ask you, when you were with the, the, the Blood Horse and the Times, did you get to cross paths with uh, the great Tony Leonard? Oh, sure. Yeah. I mean, uh, I remember in 1978 when I was out of college and interviewing, uh, you know, just, just about anybody. I was down. I was at the, Thor- the Thorwood Record. used to have this beautiful building at Lexington. And I was there, and then Tony Leonard came in and uh, gave some... Uh, you know, showed off some of his photos of affirmed, and uh, it, was, it was like being in the same room with a star. Absolutely, uh, he, he's one of my favorite people. I, I still get a chance to to, to go visit him. Uh, he's, uh, he's he's in um, a healthcare facility now with his wife yeah. Adele down uh, down in uh, Lexington. But uh, there's still nothing like uh, being around Tony Leonard. He he was just he was a great mentor to me when I was. Starting out as an equine photographer myself. Yeah. Well, See, you and I have something in common you probably don't know. Tell me. I believe we're both uh, judges for the Eclipse Awards uh, photos last year. Yes. Yes. Uh, I've been blessed to uh, the last two years they, they've asked me, me to, to judge. Yeah. And I was so happy that, you know, you know how we only pick a few uh, photos that both years <laughs> I ended up picking the top winners. So I felt pretty good about that. Yeah. And, and I thought the first year... Uh, Everything was Zenyatta and the, the, the finish. I thought the first year was kind of picking hairs because every, just about every photo submitted was the finish of the Breeders' Cup Classic. Right. And they're all good. And there, weren't, there wasn't that much to separate them. Last year, there were a lot of really good photos of, diff, of varying subjects. It was a lot better year last year. And uh, I picked the same as you pretty much, I guess. But uh, there, were other, there were other photos that could have been better, but... They were so poorly cropped that uh, I had to mark them down. Yeah, something as simple as that. Though it was an absolutely uh, gorgeous uh, a photo. If anybody uh, wants to look up the Eclipse Award photo, it was a, a, a horse going over the jumps. The guy had set the camera underneath the hedge, so yeah. you get the bottom look. But it was really beautiful the way that uh, it really it was with the fisheye lens that enveloped all of Saratoga and the steeple and the the, the the turf course. It really was a good looking one. So obviously that's great. So you got a good, pretty good sharp eye yourself. That's very interesting, Dan. Yeah. Well, Dan, the, one of the reasons I, 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 I tapped on you is I've never been to Prairie Meadows. A uh, good friend of mine uh, by the name of Jeff Johnston was a jockey who, uh, who started out there, so he's told me a few stories. But, uh, you know, our, our listeners are coast to coast. Can you kind of paint a picture of what Prairie Meadows is like or take us through the evolution of it? Yeah, well, first of all, Jeff, he's from uh, Springville, Iowa here. And he, he started, when he started riding, he was going to college in the morning and uh, – Riding at Prairie Meadows at night. Absolutely. I dog sat for him last weekend. Yeah, so, but Prairie Meadows, it started out in, it opened in 1989, and they thought they could make it kind of a, a mini Exarbon, because when it was planned, Exarbon was going great. And uh, by the time it opened, everything in horse racing kind of, you know, changed course. But it started out with $30,000 day purses. Didn't make it, went bankrupt. 
didn't race at all in 92 while I was in bankruptcy. Came out of bankruptcy in 1994. The, the uh, law allowing slot machines passed. Added slot machines in 95. And now it's, you know, it gets about 19 million a year in purses from, from the slots. So, the, you know, the purses now are, are pretty good for, uh, for a mid-sized track. Absolutely. Now, kind of describe the crowd that, that the track draws. On Friday and Saturday, the crowds are good. You know, it's a casino racetrack, so admission is free, parking is free. So you, you get, it's a different crowd than you get at most tracks. You get a lot of young couples with the little kids out to look at the horses, which doesn't help, help to handle much, but, you know, it's, it's very crowded outside. Well, we've got to create that great. next generation, Dan. Pardon me? We have to create that next generation. Well, yeah, but uh, after 20 years, I still try to create it. But, uh, you know, it's, it, so that's good. They haven't really found two other days besides Friday, Saturday, where the, where the local crowd comes out strong. That's one of the challenges Prairie Battles has. Well, it sounds similar to, to the track I work at, River Downs in Cincinnati. We really, uh, it, it's a Friday, Saturday, kind of Sunday Type, yeah. you know that's that, that's where our strength is without a doubt on your Wednesdays and Thursdays you pretty much have you know your regular simulcast patrons and of course we throw enough promotions in there during the summer to try to appeal to to different demographics yeah well listen we've got about three minutes before our first break so what do you say that uh, that that you and I go and, and take a look at uh, at the Iowa Oaks it's a grade three $200,000. I do want to tell people, though, and you can tell us about this, that, that the, the festival, should, should I call it that, um, really uh, starts on, on Friday night. I know that even uh, uh, TVG is there to cover what they call the Ohio Festival of Racing. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, yeah, and uh, they, they got three. Uh, they have the Sailorville, which is a female sprint for 100000 The Iowa Sprint for males is 125000 Rothko, who won the Aristides, is in that. And they have the Iowa Distaff at a mile and a 60th. It's 100,000. Those are the three uh, Friday races. The three biggest races are all on Saturday. Now, uh, we, we sent you, you a present from Cincinnati out there, and, and, I, and I think this young man might be sitting on one of, one of the hotter horses in the Iowa Oaks. Uh, I'm a friend of his brother's Gary, and that is Alex Berzer. Oh, sure. He's won his 1,000th Prairie Meadows race a week ago. Yeah, he, he, I announced that earlier in the show, and uh, he, he started out at River Downs. He was our leading apprentice here. And so was Terry Thompson. He, they said that they, it was 1992. They were both apprentices at uh, River Downs, and then they were both uh, closing in on 1,000 wins at Prairie Battles this year until Thompson uh, got hurt and broke a, broke a leg uh, in a gate, in a gate uh, fall. Well, that, that's a shame because uh, both of those guys are a real class act and uh, well, just real h- hardworking guys. We've had a few uh, nice apprentices here, a uh, guy by the name of Rafael Bayorano and another kid by the name of Steve Cawthon. So we, we've graduated some nice ones. Yeah. Um, so anyhow, we're looking at the Iowa Oaks, um, obviously what, what, what happens, and uh, you, know, you, you see this a lot when uh, tracks put together a huge day like you're going to have, and all of a sudden these guys start coming in from Churchill, coming in from the Golden Gate, coming in from the, uh, Chicago uh, to, to take on the likes of uh, Tapajo, if that's how you say that horse's name. Um, how do you approach handicapping something like the Iowa Oaks with these horses coming in from all over? Well, I think, you know, Ice Cream Styles looks like she could be a really kind of one of those up-and-coming horses. You know, it looks like, you know, um, 
Livy McKenzie looks, you know, it's pretty pretty nice horse. And Ice Cream Science was three to ten against her and beat her by five lengths. So I mean, she she deserves the horse to beat. I might, but she if she's you know, it's only six horses of the race. Depending on how the odds are, it might be worth taking a flyer on top of her. Um, horse for course. Yeah, and, you know, she hasn't beaten anything that's you know the quality of this field yet. But her, her two races at Prairie Battle, she just won very, very authoritatively. And uh, looking at the buyer numbers, this is a, a horse that, you know, just gradually seems to get better and better. And it's not like this horse, you know, doesn't have a past history. I mean, you know, this horse uh, was cut to be a good one. Uh, it, it's a, a daughter, a, a Tappet, out of a Bertrando mare. Uh, and you started its career at Saratoga, went to Keeneland, Churchill, Santa Anita. So I, I got a feeling this horse might have a little back history that they could make it a pretty nice filly. Yeah, and like I said, you know, if the odds are, if, if you're just picking a horse, you know, if it fall, all, all the odds are easy or are, are the same. I think I think Ice Cream can silence you. You got to go with her. But if she's three to five or four to five, you know, maybe maybe you, you, you take a shot. I mean, if history repeats itself, I mean, uh, you got a tap at uh, Philly, uh, owned by Winchell, trained by Asmussen. They won it with High Tap in uh, 2009. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, you know, all I can say is I, I, I know we all have this problem these days put getting big fields, but uh, for for a, a compact field, uh, you know, the, all you've got in there is a 12-to-1 shot, and uh, you certainly yeah. can make a case for for quite a few of the other ones. I see uh, Greta Kunzweiler's coming up there. So if nothing else, the, the, the fans at, at Prairie Meadows are going to get to see uh, quite a myriad of riders and trainers over this weekend. Yeah, they really will. And a lot, you know... Um you know, a, a lot of the nice, you know, the bigger names at racing uh, will be will be here. It's you know, um, so that that's one of the, the things that people like to see. Well, as the main writers, you you should be a pretty busy guy in uh, the next uh, forty eight seventy four hours. Well, that's true. That's that's definitely the case. Hey, but that, that that that's what you're there for, and that's what keeps us going. Well, listen, we're going to uh, we're going to take a little bit of of a break here. Uh, we're we're uh, talking with uh, Dan Johnson, who's covering the races out at Prairie Meadows. Again, this weekend is their, their big uh, weekend out there with the Iowa Festival of Racing. Uh, we've got two more races we're going to handicap, and we're going to talk a little bit more with Dan right after we take this break on Winning Ponies. Internet flagship station for sports. Voice America Sports. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form, the most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry, let winningponies.com make some money for you. Tune in to a show about making a comeback and what really goes on behind the scenes with your favorite athletes and beyond. Listen for The Comeback Radio Show with Tony Farmer. A lot of people believe what they read on the Internet, hear and see in the media, and on the news. We're going to give our guests the chance to tell the real story without the extra hype. 
It's not just sports, although that will be a focal point of the program. We'll also look at the world of celebrities, music, modeling, and more. Listen every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Sports. Your Internet flagship station for sports, Voice America Sports. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Engelhart. Got a tip for us? Need a tip from us? If you want to talk with John or his guests, the phone lines are now open toll-free at 1-888-346-9144. That's 1-888-346-9144. Or you can send an email to show at winningponies.com. Now, back to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. All right, John Engelhart, who constantly discovers what a small world it is once you start meeting people and racing. You may recall about three weeks ago, we were interviewing Barbara Livingston, and Barbara and I joked about the fact that we were in a, quote, kind of a, a, a club together uh, that uh, called the Sport of Kings Society. And all of a sudden, I just rattled my cage that there was a guy up in Illinois by the name of Dan Johnson that was part of it. I mean, we were we were kind of uh, like uh, oh, the original eBay. I guess so. It, it was, was really it was neat. It was called a bunch Sport of, of Kings. Uh, what we uh, do uh, is a handful of horse lovers. We kind of a it was definitely a club of horse lovers. Yeah. And so, you know, uh, as, as I stated a couple weeks ago, Dan would maybe go to the Illinois Derby and, and pick up a couple programs. I'd go to the Traverse Stakes, and then we'd write each other and say, hey, let's trade programs. We'd trade programs. We'd trade photos, uh, tote tickets, you know, particularly around the Triple Crown time when people would, you know, pick up $2 tote tickets on certain derby horses. But uh, that was a great experience. It does go to show me that uh, your love of the game goes back quite a way, Dan. Yes, it well, definitely. Well, listen, uh, we're cu- coming up on, on the, uh, uh, the Iowa Derby, it, it, you got to guess that Prairie Meadows felt awful good when they found out they landed last year's two-year-old champ. Well, they should. I mean, he's, uh, he's the first reigning Eclipse Award winner to, to, to run at Prairie Meadows. He's only the third Eclipse Award winner overall to, to race here. And uh, he, you know, he, he, he's got that striking, almost white coat. That, you know, he, that's given him, you know, such a good following. Uh, it's definitely fun to have him here. Yeah, and let me tell you, I, I'm sure that Dr. Kendall Hansen will come. Yeah. As a writer, you will have no problem getting quotes. We had him on winningponies.com uh, just uh, prior to the Derby, and uh, the, the guy's really good. As a matter of fact, he, he lives about five miles from where we're broadcasting right now in, in northern Kentucky, and uh, you, you'll enjoy him. He's a character. He, he loves well, the game. Uh, yeah. He really wants to use this horse as a vehicle to get people involved. Yeah, I've, I've, uh, yeah I, I interviewed him, but he's actually had having these little squeezy Hanson, uh, squeezy Hanson, Hanson dolls being made up as a Iowa Derby on it. So he's done this on his own, and Prairie Meadows will hand him out to the first 500 people at the track on uh, Saturday. And I think people will love to have him. Well, that, that's fantastic. And I know that a lot of the things he does, like squeezy dolls and, and T-shirts, he uh, takes all that money and puts it back to, into racehorse adoption programs. Yeah. He's, he's quite an interesting guy, I can tell you that. I knew him when he was back here starting with the claiming game, and he kind of worked his way up. As a matter of fact, the Dama Hansen was one of his $5,000 claimers named Stormy Sunday. Now, right. you know, some people are saying, you know, that the polish is off his apple after the Kentucky Derby, and, you know, well, why didn't he show up at the Preakness? Well, certainly from his recent works, he looks like he's back on his toes. Yeah, and they, they, they seem very excited about his future. Uh, you know, from here, they want to go to the West Virginia Derby. Then it sounds like 
if he if he's winning, it sounds like Dr. Hansen wants to try the Travers. Mike Maker, I think, wants to try the Pennsylvania Derby. So we'll see how that's how they sort that out. Well, I remember Woody Stevens with Smarten. He went to all, yep. you know, he didn't go to every big headline race, but he ended up winning millions of dollars with that horse by, by going to races just like that. So. Absolutely. I mean, that's what, those are some of the races that are missing out of the triple crowd. Smarten would go and win the Illinois Derby, Ohio Derby. You know, he'd, he'd go to all the kind of grade two big money stakes races and, and do great. And then yeah. he took on the, the good horse, the top horses at the end of the year. Well, we'll find out. You know, I'm sure if he can pick up a couple million along the way, he'll still still show up at the Breeders' Cup to see if he and Union Rags can square off again. But uh, definitely, it looks like he's the dominant horse here in your Iowa Derby. He should be if he's you know if he's if he's the same horse that won the Gotham. You'd think so. Um, you know, you got Hero Voter who's who's he won the the Louisiana Derby. This is the first time there's two. Two horses that have won million dollar races in the same race at Prairie Battles. Yeah, but he won that um, race at one hundred nine to one, and he hasn't been the same since. Yeah, and he hasn't done anything since. So, you know, what's up with him? I don't know. And then there's a horse called Alsvid, who's he's a local horse, kind of like you know uh, Tapahoe. He, you know, he hasn't beaten this this quality of field, but he's he's really been impressive at, at how he's run and how he's worked. His trainer is really optimistic about this race. And uh, you know, he—I know he's—he's he's, he's expected a really big effort. Well, just—just just imagine uh, what this guy be able to have for bragging rights the rest of his life, telling him that he beat uh, an Eclipse Award winner at Prairie Meadows. Well, uh, we're, we're we're backing up now uh, to the Prairie Meadows Corn Husker Handicap. I believe a race you adopted from XR Ben. Yes. And uh, certainly, uh, looks like uh, once again you got you got horses coming in from California, uh, Chicago, Kentucky, and uh, I think definitely uh, successful Dan's going to be the one to beat. They they didn't want to run him against his brother uh, who ran a bang up race uh, at, at Churchill last week. Uh, definitely, uh, in my opinion, looks like the one to beat in there. Yeah, he's yeah he's got to be the horse to beat. But at the same time, you get you know Fort Lauderdale. Ran up, ran up very well in the Alasheba, got beat at length. You just wonder how much the that he had a really rough trip in the Foster. You wonder how much that's gonna that's gonna hurt him at this race. If there's any, you know, residue for that. Uh, you know, again, you know, he, here he he only finished a length behind successful yeah. Dan in the Alasheba at Churchill. You know, sometimes you just got to throw one out. Well, yeah, but I think well, I think I don't know if you really have to throw the Foster out. It's just that. You know, he got uh, kind of taken very wide by Nate's mineshaft in the Foster. So, you know, the, the that effort two weeks ago, is that going to hurt about all this Saturday? Well, we're going to find out, and we're yeah, going to find out. One thing it, in his it, favor, it, it, though, Prairie Meadows, speed carries very well at Prairie Meadows. So that would be in his favor, too. I guess that wouldn't hurt uh, Shadow B. Dancing either, a no, local that, horse. He, he's won this race. He's he, The past two winners... Shadow be dancing and headache. They're both back. I mean, this this is arguably the best Cornhusker field Prairie Meadows has ever had. Well, it's not every day you get Ramon Dominguez at your track either. I mean, I'm just looking at some of those rosters of, of jockeys. Of course, Brian Hernandez is in a solid rider uh, down at down at Churchill, and you got uh, the Frenchman uh, Julian Le Peru. I, yep. I think it's going to be a really exciting couple of days for for your fans there, Prairie Meadows. Sure. 
Well, listen, uh, talking here with, with, with Dan Johnson, uh, who's uh, working with Prairie Meadows and, uh, and doing the writing out there. And uh, Dan, it was so nice to find out that we have so much in common. Thanks for being on Winning Ponies. Oh, well, thank you for having me. All right, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that closes out another edition of Winning Ponies. Remember, if you've got a friend that uh, didn't get to uh, listen to the show, tell them that it is going to be on podcast. I want to thank Dan Johnson and Stephen Chris for being on with us, and make sure you come back and join us every week or catch any shows that you missed. From high atop the grandstand overlooking the hills of Kentucky, I'm John Engelhart. Remember, bet with your head, not over it. Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Engelhart. We know the information from today's show will help you at the next post. Keep listening for more next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Sports Network.